The definition of intellectual property is a work of invention that is the result of creativity, such as a manuscript or a design to which one has the rights for which one may apply for a patent, copyright, trademark, and etc. But what does that mean exactly for your business, your marketing, and what you're doing online? Today, I'm talking with Bert Skiba about what you need to know about intellectual property, how you can protect it, and how you can use it for your marketing purposes. Stay tuned. It is time for the Marketing for Your Boring Business podcast and Facebook Live show. Welcome to Marketing for Your Boring Business, presented by All in One Social Media, where marketing professionals and industry leaders discuss what you can do to have your message get seen in a cluttered newsfeed. Join us each week to learn more about social media, online marketing, trending topics, and tips to grow your online marketing efforts. Now, here's your host, Desiree Martinez. Welcome to the Marketing for Your Boring Business Facebook Live show and podcast. I am your host, Desiree Martinez, and you and we are here to help your message get seen in that cluttered newsfeed. We are here every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time. And if you are watching this on Facebook, make sure you type boring right now into the comments so that you can get notified when we go live on this show with our awesome chat bot, The Boring Bot. And if you're watching this on YouTube or on your favorite podcast platform, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you can get this show every single week to help your message get seen in that cluttered newsfeed. Now, today I am talking with Bert Skiba about what you need to know about intellectual property. But before we dive into this, I really want to thank everyone for tuning in to the live show. Or even if you're watching this on the replay, make sure you leave any questions that you have down in the comment section and we will do our best to answer them during the live show or when we are doing the replay. So let me tell you a little bit about Bert. Burt is a licensed attorney specializing in intellectual property law. He has extensive experience in mechanical engineering and advertising clients on various aspects of intellectual property law. He advises a wide range of companies in all manner of transactions involving intellectual property matters. Mr. Skiba also assists clients with patents, trademarks, copyrights, trade secrets, and other IP-related business counseling. He specializes in early stage startups, helping us to establish and implement for your business intellectual property plan. Let's bring on Bert. Hey, Bert. Welcome to the show. Hey, how are you doing? Not too bad. So, Bert, why don't you tell us how you got started with intellectual law? That seems like a really, in my opinion, like a really random thing uh, to get started on. So what led you to doing this? Well, as a mechanical engineer for uh, 10 to 12 years before I decided to go into it, so I worked with rockets and missiles, uh, turbine engines, stuff like that, and just got sick of it. And it's a natural transition to go from engineering, it may not seem like it, but to go from engineering into patents, intellectual property law, because you deal with inventors, different types of uh inventions that come your way a lot of them are mechanical inventions so if you have a background in engineering you're able to actually know exactly what they are stating what they are coming up with you're able to help them with their invention come up with different ideas as opposed to going straight from under undergrad to law school where you really have no experience at all within engineering to do patent law you actually have to have some type of hard science engineering background to even go into patent law. So it's a natural transition to go into it. 
Well, I cannot wait to dive deep into this and figure out more about how we can use intellectual property to make sure that our marketing is doing all the things it's supposed to and hopefully help us do more. But real quick, before we do that, we're going to give a little bit of love for today's sponsor for our show, Ascendable. We are talking about intellectual property for your content, but how are you supposed to focus on protecting all that content that you're working so hard to create? And how are you making sure that your target customers are seeing that content? I have some questions that you really gotta think about. How are you going to know if people are seeing your content? How are they seeing, how are you keeping track of all those comments? And how are you making sure that everything is working for you with your marketing efforts? Well, that is where Sendable is going to be the solution that you need. Sendable allows for you to do so many amazing things to make your content get seen in that cluttered newsfeed. You're able to do bulk scheduling for your posts to all your major social networks, upload videos to YouTube, Instagram, and more. Now you can even create your own graphics with Sendable's new graphic editing tool as well. You can also monitor your social media comments and posts, schedule blogs, YouTube videos, and so much more. This is the official social media marketing tool for the all-in-one social media team. I have tested a ton of social media softwares over my years, and I always come back to Sendable because it truly is the easiest and most comprehensive software on the market. Make sure you click the link in the description so you can start on your free 30-day trial. Now, there are so many new things happening in marketing all the time. It is really stressful and it can be hard to keep up with what you should be doing with your business. That is why we have the marketing buzzword with Ben Roberts, where he helps us to decipher marketing buzzwords one at a time. Welcome back to the show, Ben. I'm so excited to have you as always. Hello, thank you for having me back again. All right, so tell us, what is this week's buzzword? Sure. So this word, this week we're going to look at a buzzword actually that not necessarily is new, but it's actually something that people keep getting wrong all the time. Or not necessarily wrong, but keep getting mixed up. So we're talking about the customer journey. And actually some people refer to this as a user journey. Some people call this a buyer's journey. Now it's the idea that actually people usually just uh, draw this in a funnel shape. Okay, so you have at the top, you have awareness, maybe information, conversion, retention, advocacy as a journey, move people from where they don't know about you and how you can actually turn them into customers and not just customers, but loyal customers. And the idea that actually you should be creating different types of content, different types of marketing collateral and material that helps move people down the customer journey. Now, this isn't just necessarily in terms of content and outbound uh, outreach stuff. We're actually talking about things that even be as simple as changing the color of your buttons. So when people say the term user journey, buyer journey, customer journey, they all essentially mean, mean the same thing. It's how can we change a customer from one state to another state? Very, very interesting. So how are things going with the book launch? Those of you that know, Ben has a brand new book out called Marketing Buzzword, helping you be a authority. How is that going for you? So far, so good. It's crazy. You've actually got like a physical book that people are asking for and I have to write them. So I think, I don't know if yours has arrived yet. It's in the post somewhere in the US Postal Service. So it's it's out of my hands, Desiree. It's yours is on your on its way to you somewhere. I don't know if you, have you got it yet? I have not gotten it yet, but I look forward to having it and having my physical copy. I have read through it, so I'm looking forward to reading through it manually. It's going to be very good. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this week's Marketing Buzzword, Ben. I really appreciate it, as always, and I know our listeners do as well. No worries. Thanks, Desiree. 
Now, if you guys are just joining us, we are talking with Bert Skiba about what you need to know about intellectual property for marketing your business. If you are watching us on Facebook, make sure you type boring into the comment section below to subscribe to the show. And if you're watching on YouTube or listening on your favorite podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss this weekly show that's going to help you get your message seen in that cluttered newsfeed. All right, Bert, it's time for us to deep dive into this. So tell us simply, what exactly is intellectual property? <laughs> simply. Um, I don't know if there's a simple way to put it. The simplest way to put it is there's four different types of intellectual property that a lot of businesses look at. So you have your patents, your trademarks, your copyrights, and then trade secrets. So most companies, intellectual property will fall into those four categories. So the difference, give us simple explanation of each a patent most people know what patents are they give you protection on some type of invention a tangible thing or some type of method or process what it does is you're actually giving away your knowledge to the united states to the people out there in the world disclosing it's called a disclosure statement so you're disclosing what you have in order to get a 20-year protection so when you get a patent issued, you get 20 years monopoly over your invention. So that's uh, your, the United States Patent and Trademark Office is giving you 20 years to monopolize on your product and to do what you want with it. In return of disclosing, you get 20 years protection. So, so what kind of protection is it that we're getting for that 20 years? So nobody can infringe on your, you know, on your invention. So say you have a without going in too big of a detail and depth, because it gets pretty complicated when you start looking at patent infringement suits. But if you have an invention, for example, like a pen that has uh, ink and other stuff. So say I had a patent on this pen here that has ink and a way of attaching it to a shirt and a way of holding the ink. I could keep others from using the same way that I'm using this pin, or if I have invented this pin with the circular round, with the holder, with the clicking, everything like that. So a patent protects that. Doesn't essentially keep people from infringing. You could get some lock people infringing. You guys send out some cease and desist, but it at least keeps people away with the fear of, hey, I'm gonna get sued if I copy their invention. So I think that, so you're talking about intellectual property, I'm guessing in regards to like patents and stuff. I know that I'm familiar with patents probably in like a sort of a silly way. It's from Shark Tank. They're always asking people on Shark Tank when they have an invention or a cool process, they always ask, is there a patent on this? Why, why is it important for businesses and maybe even like from an investment standpoint to make sure that you have gone through that patenting and intellectual property protection for your business? Um, patents increase the value of your company. If uh, investors see that you have a patent pending or a patent issued on your invention, they know that other people, it's gonna keep other people away from copying your invention. So it increases, that's why in Shark Tank, you know, they always ask, oh, is a patent pending? Well, and then you always have Mr. Wonderful, if they say no, he always asks, well, what keeps me from copying it? So that's his big question. What keeps him from copying the invention? Well, if it's patent pending, that's keeping him from copying it because in, in fear of eventually be issued into an actual patent, if they have a patent issued on it, 
then it really keeps people from copying it. So it's more when you have a patent pending, that's what means uh, is uh, the patent's been filed, patent application been filed with the United States Patent and Trademark Office, either a non-provisional or provisional application. Um, without going too depth of a provisional gives you one year protection at the one year you got to file a non-provisional application. So there's two different ways you could file a uh, utility application. So uh, y'all, it increases the value of it because it's keeping others away from using it. So a lot of companies will try to get that patent pending as quick as possible, file application with the United States Patent and Trademark Office, because most investors know that it's going to take two to three years to even get through the United States Patent and Trademark Office and get issued a patent. So it, it's, it's a long process, but it's worth it in the long run because it keeps others from using your invention. So now you've talked a lot about inventions, but a lot of our, our listeners are everyday business owners who are usually working in their business, doing things like fixing teeth, nailing those roofs, managing that plumbing, you know, doing a lot of like um, maintenance work that everyday businesses and everyday people really need. So where could they be using intellectual property in their businesses? See, and that's where moving on from patents, that's where trademarks, trade secrets, and potentially copyrights come in. They're cheaper to get, patents are expensive, uh, usually take a long time. But trademarks, if you have a website and you're building a brand, you pretty much have a trademark. If you have a name that is associated to your brand, you should probably file a trademark within the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Because uh, a lot of people will file just in their state a trade name. A trade name's only for the state. If somebody in, say, I'm in Arizona, and uh, Desiree, you're in Nevada, say you've came up with a name before I did, filed it with the United States Patent and Trademark Office, you can send me a cease and desist letter from using the same name. Okay, so, and that and that works border to border, not like state by state. Like I can use that anywhere in the is it, and I'm guessing it's just in the United States, right? Right, just the United States. So if I file it federally, it covers every state. If you're filing just a trade name within your state, it's only covered in your state. So I had give you a good example. I have a, a client. She decided to uh, not file immediately with the trademark. She went to a trade show uh, a couple months ago and in Vegas, and they decided, or they were looking around and a company had something that was almost right on what brand she was building. What happened is a year before the company was looking for different types of names and they thought her name was good. And they filed a trademark in the United States Patent and Trademark Office. So now it's going to get even more expensive for her because if they don't allow her to get her trademark because of this other company, she's got to prove what they call prior use. She used it before. Then. So trademarks, in order to build a trademark, you have to actually file it and you have to have it used in commerce. They will not being used in commerce is, means you have to get your name out there. So you have your brand, your logo, the words, you name it, get it out there and let people see it. If people aren't seeing it, you're not going to build your trade trademark and your brand and the United States Patent and Trademark Office will not let you get the trademark. So, that sounds really a little bit depressing, but I think it sounds like something that should be done like with when you're setting up your business, right? So like when you're setting up your business, you like establish your S Corp LLC, whatever that's going to be. The next step, it sounds like, is you'd want to trademark your name, right? 
Right, exactly. You want to trademark your name, at least get something filed. And a lot of people, when they look at their businesses and they choose a name, the United States Patent and Trademark Office will not give you a trademark if it's describing your products and services. So when you are thinking of a name, don't be descriptive. Don't say exactly what you're doing. A lot of people like to do that. And That's that's a good tip. So don't be descriptive when you're filing for your trademark. So with Brett, for not being descriptive, what should we be doing with our trademark when we're trying to file for it to protect our brand name? Right. So you want to be either arbitrary, fanciful. There's like four or five different categories, arbitrary, fanciful, and suggestive, where you have like Apple, for example. Okay. Apple is not describing anything to do with the computer. Okay. Like iPads or anything like that. So Apple is fanciful mark it's not describing what they're doing it has the greatest protection so you're able to relate the little apple logo or apple to computers and what they do same with microsoft and well microsoft has become descriptive because it's describing a software now but nike for example is a good another good example nike doesn't describe any athletic apparel or anything like that so how would like a smaller business like a local dentist or something how would they want to trademark their their business name and why would they want to do that because you i mean you've made some big name mentions which is great but we're trying to talk on like a more local level like so why would dr you know joe smith dds want to make sure that his dentistry name is protected with the trademark if they have a unique name i would say protect it for sure but if they're just using their name dr john smith whatever dds <laughs> there's no way they're going to get a trademark in the first place and that that's the name what they're naming their business just go with it get a trade name within this you know with the states and if they're not going federal with their a lot of small businesses they want to stay local they want to do operate within the local community uh, it may not be worth it to file federally. The only risk is if somebody else comes up with your name and they find out that you have it, they could send you a cease and desist. So if it's something unique and that you want to go from, if you're going to sell online, if you're going to sell from state to state, it's worth filing. But if you're just some local doctor with a name, it probably is not worth filing within the United States Patent Trademark Office because they, the patent office won't, First off, won't issue a trademark with somebody's name because they don't want you tying up, especially if you like John Smith for how common it is. <laughs> yeah, I just like to use John Smith as a general yeah. example for sure. <laughs> I had a client who's a doctor here in in uh, Phoenix, and he came up with his own method for tinnitus, and he named it the Rohi method. And the way we got it through the United States Patent and Trademark Office is we had to put it what they call in the supplemental registry. So it goes on not the primary registry where you're actually getting all the full protections. It's going just beneath that. It has still protection, but you have to build your mark. You got to show over five years usually that you're actually building the mark, that you're using it in commerce, and that you're not just trying to tie up some name. So with uh, small businesses around the area, if you plan on having a, at least a internet presence, a website, something like that, you're essentially putting yourself out there for federal, for being in commerce throughout the whole United States. So if you have some unique name, I would suggest at least filing a trademark on the unique name to tie it up that way. The, nobody else could send you a cease and desist. And also there's a couple different ways. So you could file your logo or you could file the words. 
So a lot of people will file if it's descriptive. Logos are a lot easier to get through the United States Patent and Trademark Office, and uh, you don't. And then you're able to at least keep people from getting your logo, what's the look of it, the feel of it, and it's out in commerce and you're protecting it. So you have some sort of protection. But if you have some unique words, file the words and uh, get those protected first because that actually covers everything. So there's a few different ways you can file, but you always have to be using it in commerce. Very interesting. All right, guys, if you are just joining us, we are talking with Bert Skiba about what you need to know about intellectual property for marketing your business. If you are watching us on Facebook, make sure that you type boring into the comment section so that you can subscribe to the show and get notified when we go live every single week. And hey, if you're watching over on YouTube or on your favorite podcast platform, please do me a solid and hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss this weekly show from us. So Bert, what I want to ask you now is, we do a lot of online marketing. I do a lot of online marketing. That's what my business really specializes in. It's what we do. What is it that we need to know about intellectual property when it comes to the internet? All right. Now you're getting more complicated. <laughs> yeah. Let's keep it, keep it simple for us. I think that it's really important for our users to understand what they need to be doing when they're creating their content. So I think because we, we live in this world where there's just so much sharing and there's so much like, there's so much gray zone. There's so much right and wrong. And a lot of the wrong people are doing and we don't realize that it's wrong. And so I just want to make sure that like, our boring businesses know what they what they can or cannot share online, like what is like an infringement on intellectual property. How because we because we're all about marketing our boring businesses. So what is it that we need to know about intellectual property when it comes to marketing and sharing in the online space? Right. So that comes to the third one, copyrights. A lot of people do not understand copyrights and how they work on the internet. So uh, a few years ago they came out with what they call the Digital Millennial Copyright Act. So what that does is, for example, on YouTube. So a lot of people will post copyrighted videos on YouTube without knowing, hey, this is copyrighted. Just actually have a client that had a Lifetime movie and the couple of people decided to post that Lifetime movie on YouTube. So what the Digital Millennial Copyright Act does is that it allows people, companies like YouTube, um, all the other video streamers, Facebook, you name it, you send them a notification, a takedown notice saying, hey, this is copyrighted content. Take it down. You have X amount of days to take it down. Otherwise, we could go after you because a lot of frivolous lawsuits were being filed against these bigger companies where the government wants them the opportunity to actually take down other people's acts of putting up copyrighted. So it's not YouTube that's putting up, it's individuals that are putting up. So the main thing is, is know what is copyrighted and what is not. So if you're using- And how, I'm gonna, I wanna pause you there for a second, because I feel like we need to answer, how are we going to know? So for example, one of my clients, um, they're re YouTubing realtors, and they like showing off different things that you can do in different communities to help sell their homes. One of the things that they do is they did a line dancing class, and there was music playing in the background, and we tried to put their video up on YouTube, and YouTube was like, no, we're not putting that video up because there's copyrighted music in it. And it wasn't even like we the, the audio track was added 
during editing or that it was nice. It was just something playing in the background. And YouTube was like, no, we're not posting that. So how is it that when we're trying to create stuff, how are we supposed to know what is or is not copyrighted? I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain most of us know that music, especially the more popular that it is, it's going to be copyrighted. Right, right. But, and more like a smaller common sensey kind of way. Like how can we still market our business while being trendy and all that stuff, but also be obeying those copyright laws? Right. So if you, general rule of law, if you didn't create it and somebody else created it and it's their original work, it's copyrighted. Okay. So if somebody else created, say, a picture or a video or music or something like that, copyright, and it's an original work, they created it from their own ideas, their own thoughts. Uh, it, copyright automatically attaches. So, okay. So I want to do a little rapid fire with you real quick, and I want you to say if this is copyright infringement or not, okay? Right. So posting GIFs on Facebook from TV shows and movies and those little clips where you're to express how you're feeling. Um, those are not copyrighted because there's ways to get around it if you're showing like a little short clip like a two or and i'm not saying like they even created it like just using one like from like the facebook library of gifts yeah those are just freeware so you're able to just their share or whatever you call them nowadays you're able to just repost them they're out there they're little short clips you're it's not like you're using the full it's like a parody so you're you're doing the loop so parodies is a way to get around that's how we'll Yankovic was able to use all the different songs and create different words to it. He's parodying those songs. He got around the copyright. Okay. So what about resharing images from other people like on Instagram or Facebook, but giving them credit? As long as you give them credit, you could reuse them. If they ask you to take it down though, you got to take it down. Otherwise you're infringing their copyright. And it all depends on where you get it, what you're doing with it. Um, the safe way to do it is if you know who you're taking it from, get their permission to use it. Okay. Um, what about when you're editing videos, let's say for Facebook or Instagram or for YouTube, and you want to use like a little clip from a movie to like kind of express a point or add some humor to the video. Is that allowed? Um, yeah, same with the GIF, so you're able to just loop it in. So it's a small little part. You're not taking a huge amount of it. As long as it's a small little portion, five to 10 seconds, you could probably get away without getting sued from one of the big corporations or big movie makers or something like that. Is there like a size limit? I know some people are always like, oh, you can use seven seconds or whatever. Is there like a size or length limit you probably have to quote unquote get away with it on, on your platforms? If I remember right, there is. I'd have to look it up. I can't remember. Okay. Well, we're going to hold you to that, Bert. We're going to need to know that for our show notes. <laughs> so go to the show notes, guys, and Bert's going to tell us if, if you can actually, what this, our, our length limit is on videos and stuff. Well, that's really interesting because I've talked with other people, and it's a, it's a pretty common social strategy to share other people's content, add in clips for humor. You know, BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed's been like a whole business off of, of using other people's content and sharing and showing and stuff like that. Whether it's good or bad is probably a different story. So I'm always so curious because some people are like, oh, no, it's fine. Other people that are like, no, don't because you're going to go to jail. So I I think that it sounds like it just comes like into a case-by-case -case basis. 
Yeah, that's usually what copyright is, case by case, and who's the actual original content owner of it, and whether they're going to enforce the their copyright rights or not. Like very dad, interesting. They, they didn't want their Lifetime movie being shot all over YouTube because they have a contract with Lifetime. So yeah, well, no, you don't want to put your whole movie because then that takes away advertising opportunities. I, I get, I got that one. That one, that one seemed kind of silly to me. Yeah. So I think that my last question when it comes to this intellectual property stuff when creating content and on the internet for our businesses is how do we protect the content we create from being used probably in a malicious or um, way to benefit another business versus benefiting ours? Um just comes with enforcement. So if it's a copyright and it's an original work, you created it. Uh, there, there's ways of filing your copyrighted stuff. So you go to the United States Copyright Office and you file. There's benefits for doing that. If you say they're copying your stuff and it ends up going into a lawsuit, you actually have to file before you can sue them in federal court. Because copyrights is protected by the federal government. So does that mean I have to copyright every single piece of content I create? No, you don't, because it's automatic detached. That that's that's what they, the United States government knows that people are creating original content every day and multiple original content all the time. Yeah, so copyright. I'm, we're creating original content right now, guys. <laughs> yeah. So it's copy it, it attaches, but before you can sue, you got to actually register it. So say if you have a lawsuit or you someone's stealing it, they won't take it down. You got to file. There's no okay. filing within three months of it becoming public. Uh, you get like attorney's fees and some treble damages and some other stuff. But otherwise, you don't need to file every single copyright that you have, other every single original work. Otherwise, it'll just get too expensive and you're just filing. Tedious. It wouldn't, even, it wouldn't even be worth it, I would think. So it sounds like the moral of the story is, is protect your brand by getting it trademarked and then everything that you create under that brand is going to be kind of attached to it. Am I understanding that right? Right, yeah, so it'll be attached to it. It's a copyrighted work, so you're able to actually protect it through that way. And if it's yours, you can prove it, send people cease and desist, or hire an attorney and have them, if they're not taking it down, and let them deal with it. Yeah, well, it sounds like we all need to go out and protect our businesses, not just because we're afraid of someone taking our name, but because all of the good juicy stuff that we are creating all the time, we don't want other people taking it and saying it's a, it's their own or using it uh, for malicious intent and all that kind of stuff. So I think that this was an incredibly invaluable conversation. Thank you so much, Bert. Yeah, no problem. All right, if there's one place people can get a hold of you to learn more about copyright law and all that other goodness, where should they go? They could go to uh, www.hpslawgroup.com or they could email me at Bert, B-U-R-T, at hpslawgroup.com. That's nice and simple and very well-branded. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today, Bert. It was very, very enlightening. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in, whether it's on the live stream or on the replay. Like we always say in military life, it is never goodbye. It is see you soon. So until next time, guys, I will see you soon. Thanks for listening to Marketing for Your Boring Business. If you like this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and share this episode on social media. Want more? Subscribe to watch the latest episodes of Marketing for Your Boring Business. This podcast is presented by All-in-One Social Media.